When I'm traveling, I'm always Googling haunted hotels or haunted venues. And now in Metro Phoenix, Arizona, where Turning Point USA is hosting America Fest December 17th through 20th, I don't think there are really any haunts. However, there is this little town north of Phoenix called Jerome, and the whole place is haunted. The saloons and the hotels, there are these little skulls all over the town. It's like this little mountain town where everything is on a cliff. There are probably TikToks about it. So while you're planning your America Fest trip for this December, keep Jerome, Arizona in mind. I got you, girl. America Fest is a four-day conference with the biggest speakers in the conservative movement, plus concerts. It's for all ages, so the entire family is welcome to come. Nothing spoopy about that. Some of the speakers that have been announced so far are Tucker Carlson, Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, Ali Stuckey, Tim Poole, Steve Bannon, and more will be announced soon. You can get 25% off general admission tickets at amfest.com with code POPLITICS. That's amfest.com with code POPLITICS. Happy spooky season, cute-servatives. It is the spookiest time of the year. No, not because of witches, which are real, by the way, but because it is the season of scary stories. And if you know anything about me at all, at all, at all, then you know that the truest, scariest stories are my perfect cup of conservatee. So obviously, there is no better way to spend podcast than by having a little exorcist on who is also the son of an exorcist. No, I'm not swearing. He's the son of an exorcist. It's about to be all Emily Rose up in this witch. Today's guest was literally raised by a man who fell into the occult and became tormented by a dozen demons. Then exercised them out of himself by himself without Richard Simmons one by one and boom not only was he free of demons but he found himself on a whole new career trajectory a family business of exercising demons now I've got a lot of questions and a lot of that I'm skeptical of so I'm sure you do too our guest is here today to talk about his dad's conversion story from everyday Christian to a cult follower to exorcism expert. His dad's life is what ultimately led to him having a gift of exorcisms himself, which he has put to practice with the masses. Along the way, he'll recall some truly chilling tales from his childhood and even reveal what a demon looks like as it begins to viciously unravel itself from the confines of a person's body. If this is not spoopy, I don't know what is. Please welcome Rick Hansen to The Spillover. Rick Hansen, happy Halloween. Thank you. Happy <laughs> Halloween to you. Okay, so this is very, um, I'm not going to lie, like one of those episodes where I'm going into it a little bit skeptical. I have a lot of questions and... I'm excited because this really is like a whole family affair of exorcisms, mm -hmm. basically. So what is really mind-blowing is that when I'm looking into what you do now and stuff, you're like a surfer, and then you, I, it, you do some kind of like life coaching or something like that. Yep. Yeah, like leadership coaching. Yep. Yes. And so that is so far apart from it sounds Very. like the childhood you grew up in. Mm -hmm. So could you explain, I guess, how... You came to having this gift of seeing spirits and just starting from, I guess, being a child and the first weird supernatural thing that you remember happening in your family. Yeah. So we're just going straight into it, huh? Going straight Perfect. in. Okay. Um, yeah. So I grew up um, with an ex-Satanist. Um, my dad was in the occult for probably a couple of years, deep and hard. Um, he uh, went through all kinds of stuff, which I can share more later, but because of his experience, you know, being in that environment is was natural for me my whole growing up years. Um, we would have people come to the house probably three to five times a week who had heard about my dad and heard his story. They'd knock on the door, they'd give a call um, and say, hey, I, are you the guy who deals with demons? And he says, 
yeah, I think. And, and they said, I need help. And uh, so my whole young life, I saw these people coming in to our house um, and you could see it in their eyes. They were, they were dark and they were heavy and they were ominous almost, just like with struggling with life. And uh, then my dad would, would deal with them in, in our house most often, sometimes on the phone. Um, and God would use my dad. And when they left, their whole countenance on their face was changed, mainly their eyes. How was your dad a Satanist in the first place? How did this come to be? Yeah, right. That's the question. Um, so he was he was raised in a Christian home, a Midwest um, Baptist home. So church was the thing. God was the thing. Cross was the thing. Um, he became a Christian early on, went to a Christian college, married a wonderful Christian woman who was one of the reasons why he um, made it through because of her prayers. Um, but then he went through three big church splits and, uh, and started looking at God through the sins of man and mm. got real confused. He's like, if, if, is this God? If this is God, I, I don't want it. And uh, so we started to do um, a comparative religion study um, of all kinds of world religions, found out that there's always a good and there's always a bad, um, very similar to what he'd read in scriptures. And um, he got more and more into the study and the curiosity of it. Because my dad is a, um, he's a purist and he wants purity. He wants truth and he hungers for it. And uh, when he didn't think he found it, he looked elsewhere. And so um, he was at home one night. And, and, and what year was this? Uh, so I was, um, I was probably uh, one or two at the time. So this is back in the mid 70s. Okay. Um, and, uh, and he was at home one night and... Uh, He'd started to push the envelope on his search, and uh, he heard a voice say, go and turn on the television, and he turned on the television, and it popped into a documentary with Anton LaVey. And who is that? Uh, he was the head of the Satan Church. Um, I think he was out of San Francisco, and they were doing a documentary on him and the, and the Satanic Church. And right when it popped on, Anton LaVey was praying to Satan and uh, raising his hands, and my dad said he saw in him as much faith that he'd ever seen in a Christian pray to God. And he was fascinated. Um, and he watched the documentary and uh, it triggered that for him at the time, this is it. This is the thing I've been looking for. And he, um, after the documentary, got down on his knees and said, God, I don't want you anymore. Satan, I want you to come and be in and a part of my life. And, and that, so did he immediately feel a change after praying to Satan? So that's the interesting part. Right when he did that, um, as soon as he said, God, I want you out and Satan, I want you in, he said he was filled with this instant hatred towards Jesus and started to cuss and yell and push, you know, the name of Jesus away, which is interesting for our story later because it is the life of Jesus that allows us to have the power over the demonic. Um, so it, he was always fascinated by, he, he didn't start to curse God, he cursed Jesus. And, um, and then but it just it hit and he started to worship him and be intimate with him like we would in our faith with Christ. Now, I'm assuming that you're growing up, I mean, this is the 70s where you guys, uh, previous to this point, a church going family, oh, yeah. your mom was in the house. Mm -hmm. And so your church going family while your dad now has invited Satan into his life, do, what does your mom think is going on? Does yeah. she know that this is happening? She just knows that he wasn't the man that she married because he was the, you know, like the typical Christian college guy, played football, was wrestler, was in a quartet. He sang, he was, he was, you know, oh, you know, he's, he's the guy. And um, when he flipped the switch, he never told my mom what it was or why, but she just started to notice through his, his temperament, um, his rage, his anger, um, he, that's, that's when she said, you're not the man that I married. And she didn't know what was going on. Mm. But the deeper he got, um, the more involved in scripture she became. Wow. Uh, so almost to the day that he started his worship with Satan, she joined um, a group back then called Bible Study Fellowship. And they just pour into the word and they just you know, weekly meet and just discuss the word. And so my mom was getting super deep in her faith, um, struggling while my dad was 
off on some other journey that she didn't know. And so how long did this last, the secrecy with the family? So it was for, I think, um, a year and a half to two years where he was just in his own zone. So was he going to, I mean, to the local Church of Satan? Was he attending services and things like that and just lying about where he was? No, he was um, He was actually, he'd still go to church with my mom. Really? Yeah. How could he stomach sitting through the services? He thought it was super fun to be super cynical. He's like, these guys have no clue, no clue. They're all a bunch of frauds. I'm the one who's got it. So he'd go and just, it would just fill his anger and his cynicism because he could sit amongst them and they didn't know. And sometimes they'd even sing at church while he was in the throes of Satanism. Wow, that's like incredible to think about. It is. It's gnarly. It's really gnarly. So, I mean, what was he doing then? If he wasn't going to those services, he was still going to regular church. I mean, how do you, how did he like d develop or go deeper yeah, into this right. faith? Yeah, that's the thing. So, and everyone asked us like, was he a part of a, a coven? Was he part of an occult, um, a group? No, he would... Um, he wouldn't always go to church with my mom, but sometimes he's like, okay, I'm just, I'm tired of you asking me, fine, I'll go. So he'd go out of rage. But what he would do is he'd come home. Um, he was a school teacher for his whole, his whole life, like 39 years. He'd come home after school, um, close the doors, lock the doors, pull the shades, and uh, just start to worship Satan and call on Satan and say, um, come and, you know, envelop me and show me what you will, like worshiping him like a Christian who's devoutly on their knees is seeking God. He was going that hard into it. And uh, he started to get powers. Like he knew who was coming to the door before they came. He knew when the phone was going to ring before it did. He knew who was going to be on the phone before it rang. He knew um, what people were thinking and could, could, could get their thoughts out in front of them before they could say it. And at first he was able to control most of the powers. And then as he got deeper and deeper into it and darker into it, the power started to control him. And um, What do you mean by that? The power started to control him. Well, because before, when, when, when he could tell things were about, like, who was going to come to the front door, it was fascinating for him. It was like, oh, okay, I, that's, that's really cool and weird. Um, but then it became to where he just noticed he didn't have control of what he was thinking and how he was thinking and who was coming and what they were about. So he started to feel a loss of control the deeper he got because his spirits became stronger and stronger in him over time. And do you remember any of this or were you still too little? I was too little at the time. Um, I mean, it's vivid in the fact that, you know, I've heard that story so many times, um, but it's vivid in, I mean, I, I have a ton of stories of growing up post his, his own exorcism. Right. So, so let's get into this. Okay. So at some point your dad obviously is like, I've made a grave mistake. Yeah. What was that point? Yeah, sure. Um, so he, he, he actually tried to take his life like at one point because he felt it was so overwhelming. Um, what was overwhelming for him? Just, I think everything, I think it just like the people that we have dealt with had, has always have had a similar notion of like, I just feel overwhelmed. I can't control things. There is something on my back, something on my head, something on my chest. I just feel I can't see life anymore. It's so dark. Did he actually sell his soul to Satan? Is that a real thing that people do that you hear in the movies? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, but you can do it many different ways. I mean, people do it in different ways, but he, he literally, you know, in his words, God, I don't want you Satan. I want you in my life. Just like as a Christian would say, God, you know, come into my heart. Right. So, you know, I don't think there's a technical definition of selling your soul. I think there's many ways to do it, but he he did, and he was all in. So he's overwhelmed, and does he at this point reach out to your mom and tell her what's going on and clue her in? So um, not yet, but uh, as it got worse and worse for him, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Corey Tenboom. Yes, I feel like that sounds super familiar. She was an amazing woman, Holocaust survivor. Um, and, and she was um, older, obviously, at the time. Um, and she wrote the book called The Hiding Place. Um, and as my dad was getting worse and worse into it and, and feeling heavier and heavier um, after he tried to take his life, um, she, you know, she said, hey, let's, there's this lady speaking. I think we should go. And he's like, fine, okay, fine, I'll go. And listen. 
Um, and she spoke. She was a frail woman, but spoke in power, he said. Um, and they were sitting in the back, and he was cynical the whole time. Um, and then after it was over, he found himself up in the front right next to her. And, uh, and she turned to him and said, what do you need, son? And he said, I mean, I guess you could pray for me. And she said, okay, I'll pray for you. And uh, um, he said she put her hand on his shoulder, and he felt total warmth coming through her to him. Mm. And she said, I'm going to pray for you for a week. And to the day, he came back to Christ after that, after that time of prayer. Now, the foundation of that is that my mom has always been praying for him, not knowing exactly what to pray for, but knowing that there's something wrong. His parents were praying, her parents were praying. So there was a lot of prayer being dumped into my dad's life in spite of his utter rejection of Christ. So, um, and, this, and this is where it gets kind of weird. But uh, I love it when it gets weird. So he was, <laughs> he was at the height of his, his power. Okay. And he was, he was able to get in a, in, in a trance, like a, like a real mental trance. And um, he, was, he was calling on a spirit in order that that spirit would manifest and show itself like I see you and you see me. So that when my mom came home and saw the craziness, she would leave because he knew that her faith and what she was doing was the only thing keeping him from really going into where he wanted to go. Her belief in Jesus Christ was keeping your dad from truly having his full power Correct. from the devil. Because she brought the presence of Christ into right. the house. And every night before they went to bed, she would just place the Bible on the bedstand. Never preached, never threw verses at him, never, oh, you're so awful. Never. Just yeah. loved and prayed. I mean, still, I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, so he was in this trance. The spirit was starting to materialize. And um, she called from church and said, hey, I'm going to go out with my friends. And that call broke the trance. And he got so furious and enraged. He, he took the Bible and threw it against the wall and started to cuss every name that he could at God. And he said, as powerful as the rage and the hate was, he said, in an instant, he felt God's presence. And he said, what do you want, God? And God essentially said, I want you back. It's time. And uh, he, he sat down. I mean, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. No, don't give a, us the Reader's Digest. Well, it was, um, I mean, he, he, was, he, was, he was in a dark, dark, dark place. And, but I always find it really fascinating that as powerful as he felt Satan in his life, and as stark as the moment was that he said, God, get out, Satan, I want you to come in. God came back into his life just as stark. And when he threw the Bible and cussed and yelled and cursed to God for hours, um, that's when Christ said, you're done. And then my dad, he's like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? And, uh, and God said, pick up the Bible and read. And he read all of Psalms and all of Proverbs. So he was able to explore the heart of David his struggles, his battles with, with God, and then Proverbs, which is the wisdom of scriptures. And, uh, and it's, it's, as though, it, it's as though God, I mean, again, his timing is perfect, right? I mean, right. We never understand his, his timing or his why or his what, but God does what he does. And, um, and my mom got home that night and they're going to bed and, and he said, uh, honey, I think there's, there's going to be some weird stuff going on. I don't know what it is, but something's got to change. And I, there's, there's something in me that's got to get out. But he and, still had never told her uh, no. what was really going Correct. on. Correct. Yep. And so she learned all this stuff, all the details after. Right. Afterwards. Um, so then does he say at, at some point, is he saying, God, I need an exorcism? So what he said was literally almost that. He said, God, do I need to call a Catholic priest and get exercised. I don't know what to do. And he says, and he says this all the time. He says, I almost heard God chuckle and say, I am the exorcist. Trust in me. And so he laid in bed and he said, okay, God, you got to walk me through this. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And um, he started to pray and, uh, and rebuke the spirits in him. And uh, he expelled that night from him 12 specific demons that he felt come from his stomach and up through his throat and out his mouth. And he said it took most of the night. Of course, my mom 
was freaking out. But uh, that's that's when it all started to change. Obviously. Did your mom see the demons coming out? No, um, my mom and my sister always saw the exorcisms, but couldn't see the stuff that my dad and I saw. But 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 they would see, you know, in an exorcism, a gnarly one, bodies change, your faces contort, voices change. I mean, the face becomes unrecognizable in many cases as the demon is manifesting itself. Um, and is doing that to scare the other side. Like, you know, this is really evil. You shouldn't even come near here. Yeah. Um, but she heard it but didn't see the demons. But he he literally had the 12 expelled from him. And that's how he learned how to do it. Um, what did it look like to him when he's talked about it? He talks about it. He talks about a physical pain and a physical feeling. And he felt something foreign traveling through his body and up out of his body. Did he throw up or anything? No. He wow. It, I mean, we've dealt with a lot of people that have in the middle of it, um, puked everywhere, you know, it's just, and so he would have a bucket in his den just, you know, when people came in case they would. Can you tell us the story about the painting of the blue lady? The blue lady. Yeah. That's the gnarly, gnarly story. So, uh, long, well, not long story short, but, but the blue lady was his guiding demon. And he's an artist. He's a painter, a, you know, um, a photographer. And uh, in the throes of his Satanism, he went out in, in the garage and just felt compelled to paint this thing. And he said as soon as he put his brush in the, in the paint and on the canvas, he said something overtook him and drew and painted this beautiful, beautiful blue lady. It was a demon. But it, looked, but it just looked like an amazing portrait. Um, and he said he was felt completely controlled. He said he had no um, awareness of his own hands. They were doing their own thing. It was thing. like they were controlling his body and yep. having him paint this picture. Correct. Correct. And um, and he hung it. I mean, he he said afterwards that it forced, you know, him to essentially worship it and say, okay, this is, this. I, I'm, your, I'm your guiding spirit. And he hung it in the house. And everyone, he said, who came into the house said, that painting scares the heck out of me. You got, really? Yeah. And they would say the eyes would follow them. Everyone would say from young to old, this painting is beautiful, but it's awful. You've, it's horrible. So um, when he came back to Christ, he knew he ultimately had to destroy that painting. And uh, so he got my mom and then a couple of our friends, neighbor friends who had known afterwards what my dad went through. And they started a fire in the fireplace and they threw the painting in, in the fireplace and it, it didn't burn. It didn't burn mm -mm. being in the fireplace. The fire was raging. And the painting is untouched. Mm -hmm. So then what? So he realized something's got to change. This isn't right. And yeah, it's it, not right. right? <laughs> and so his, his friends were watching kind of in awe and in gasp as well. And... They pulled it out of the fire, not scorched, not burned. And uh, he felt God say, you need to pray over this and rebuke this spirit. And this is where it gets really crazy. Um, he took it out and he, and he. I like how you say, this is where it gets really crazy. As if this whole thing <laughs> hasn't been insane already. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he started to cut like the canvas. Um, and in his eyes, the picture on the canvas turned in to my mom's face. <gasps> and he saw literal tears start to come out of the canvas, from the canvas. Because they didn't want him to destroy it. Because that was his tie into the dark world. That was his ruling demon um, that was in charge of him, essentially. Um, and uh, then they threw it in the fire. They rebuked it in the name of the blood of Jesus Christ. And poof, it went up into flames. Now, the even weirder part about this is, you know, after that is when he... Um, exercise the 12 demons from him. And, uh, and the next morning, because he was a teacher, like I said, he went to school and one of his students in his art class um, came to him and said, I felt really compelled to paint this painting last night. And uh, I had to bow down and worship it a hundred times. And then they said to come in and show you. And it was the same painting no. that my dad had painted when he was in, in the throes of Satanism. Same image, same painting everything.
so then he's like, oh, this stuff is real. This is like, this is, and that's when he, he started the whole, you know, journey on exercising just tons and tons of people. Okay. I, there's been <laughs> rare points where I'm like, I'm pr pretty much speechless while doing this podcast. This is one of them. Okay. So now, obviously, he tells your mom. Mm -hmm. And how does she react to her husband saying, hey, I've had the secret life in the occult, essentially? Yeah. I mean, um, what what is cool about my mom um, is she has a really simple but profound faith. And her response, again, I wasn't there, I don't know, but I've seen it over the years and it's always been, well, God answered my prayer then. God mm. pulled you out and prayer does work and prayer is powerful and prayer is what we need to fight the spirits with. And so, um, I mean, still like we tell stories and she's like, oof, wow, what's, you know, because she, it's still gnarly after, you know, whatever, 40, 45 years for her, it's still gnarly because it's real, real intense. Um, but she went through it and like a trooper, I mean, stuck by his side, but didn't, you know, go, oh, you're too weird or strange or this isn't, I mean, it, it was because I think what she saw him go through and change into, I think when, when it finally came out, what it was, she could finally make sense of everything. Right. So I think for her, it was a, ah, okay, that's why. And so how old were you when you finally realized, oh, my dad performs exorcisms for a living? Well, I mean, like I said, growing up, I, I was probably, um, I mean, I've seen a ton, but I think probably when I was six or seven or eight, I mean, I, I started to realize, well, there's a lot of people that come to our house. And were all they the all time. like acting weird? Oh, yeah. Totally. And so were you like, why do these people come over and they act crazy? Well, yeah. Well, well, and then, you know, they'd go back to my dad's office, the den. That's where he, he performed most of his exorcisms. It was a it was an office that my grandpa, his dad, helped him build because he was spending so much time counseling people. And he knew it had to be out of the house um, away from us because they were so intense. I mean, our neighbors would hear screaming, the screaming and the cussing and the yelling and the shouting of the people as the demons are coming out. And so uh, when did the neighbors think, hey, maybe we should ask what's going on over that Hanson house? Yeah, <laughs> they. I mean, they always at some point would go, hey, um, you know, uh, what, what's going on or, you know, what's what's the deal? But um, I don't know how like a scary movie hasn't been made about your family. Well. I'll, I'll tell you that. Oh, okay. That so something, okay, okay, okay. So, all right. When did you realize that you actually had this gift for exercising people like your dad? So um, he'd start to pull me into some of these just to watch when I was young. And uh, Do you remember the first one? I don't remember the first one because there, there's, I remember several that scared the holy heck out of me. Um, tell us about Tell us about the scariest so one. So I will tell you that like the first time that I got really, really, I mean, I was always nervous in, in there, but this is the first time I was really scared for literally scared of, I was going to lose my life. Um, my dad and I were called to deal with this guy who needed freedom, but didn't know how or who to call. Someone had heard about my dad who knew him. They contacted us and said, would you go over to his apartment and help? Um, and so we get there and this guy was big to begin with, just a big frame, you know, probably six, four, um, solid, thick. Uh, so he was physically daunting at first. We go into his apartment, it was a small studio apartment and, uh, almost immediately the spirit started to manifest in this guy because it was so strong. And my dad was sitting in one chair up against the wall. There was a lamp and a clock and I was over in the chair over here watching and I could see this, I could see this guy physically start to get agitated and um, angry. And I knew that that was the demon starting to manifest because if you remember back to, uh, I think it's Matthew eight about the, um, the demoniac. And as soon as the demons saw Jesus, mm -hmm. they said immediately, what do you want with me? Right. Our time has not yet come. And so I know my dad is anointed and he will never take credit for anything. He always says the glory is God's and it is. Mm -hmm. But I think God was so as intense as Satan was in him during that time. And when he expelled Satan, God became exponentially more intense in my dad's life. Right. And the, the Holy Spirit was yeah, really working through him. Yeah, totally. So when we walked in that room and 
it happened a lot. There was a trigger almost instantly that something would happen. So this guy was on the um, on the edge of his bed, just moving and kind of grabbing the sheets and getting real agitated. And at one point, he uh, stood up, and, and I, I knew something was going to happen because he stood up and he, over my dad, started to cuss and yell, grabbed the lamp, ripped it out of the wall, and was about to throw it at my dad's head. And last split second, smashed it up against the wall. I'm like. This is getting real, dude. This is gnarly. And I was probably 14, horrified, scared. But I knew I knew my dad had been in these tons of times. And my dad always left untouched. Right. Because God was always protecting him. So a part of me was like, okay, I know God has got this, but and I'm scared. This is way over my head. And then the demon started to manifest again. He got up after he threw the lamp, went over to the backside of the bed, and uh and the demon was starting to come out, and his body literally started to grow, like the Hulk, you know, like the Incredible Hulk? Yeah. He was reaching for um, what was a bookshelf over by the window. And, and I could see from the back his, and it's not like he was flexing, his body was growing, he was enlarging. Ooh. And the darkness that I saw and felt, and, I, and he was standing by the window, and I, and I felt God say, look out the window. And I saw, again, it was nighttime, so it was dark. But I saw, probably that was the first time that I saw, like the silhouette and the shape of a massive, massive demon outside the window. What did it look like? That one was just, um, it's, I mean, it's like in a movie. It's just a dark, heavy shadow, ominous, um, cloaked. I couldn't see the eyes or the face or anything, but I could see the form. And that was enough because I was, it was mirroring what was happening with this guy. And, um, and, we, and we prayed. And my dad said that was the first time he's ever been afraid for his life, and especially because his son was there. Um, and I think that, that messed me up for a long time because it was so heavy. Like the manifestation of that guy was so gnarly. And he literally wanted to kill my dad. Not him, but but the demons. And, course, and I, yeah. could, I think that was one of the times where I really saw the power that we as Christians have over this stuff mm. because of the cross. Not for anything that we've done or anything that we can do, but, you know, we always talk about the cross as the forgiveness of our sins, which it is. But it's also our victory. It's our victory. It's our victory cry over all those spirits want to destroy us and attack anyone around us and i i left going that was that was unbelievable but the other part this is the first time i saw an angel um in the chair as he was manifesting as i was horrified um god showed me a picture and i know it sounds weird that god showed me but he did it was as clear as i can see you um he showed me the road outside the apartment lined up to the door, all lined with angels, bright, beautiful, strong, stoic, solid angels, almost mathematically separated. They were perfect, perfectly aligned, perfectly standing, perfectly spaced. And I just felt God saying, I am protecting you, but trust me. But I was so physically afraid because it was such a physical manifestation. I mean, it just, it threw me for a loop. Again, I was only 14 or 15. Two things are happening every single time I go to the grocery store. One, I'm scoping out for the hot guys. That is something that really exclusively only happens at certain grocery store brands and franchises. If you know, you know. I've talked about it before on my Instagram stories. There's another thing that I do, um, and that's being on this, like, all-organic, no-processed food kick that I'm on. I'm constantly looking for healthy food, especially meat, but I always feel like I'm a victim of highway robbery. One of the many reasons I love getting my meat from good ranchers is because I know exactly where it's coming from. There's no antibiotics. There's no hormones. It is literally superior to organic. Plus, it's affordable. So I know that not only is the meat great, but the price isn't inflated like it is at all the places you usually get your meat at until today because when you go to goodranchers.com slash Clark and use code Clark, you will get $20 off plus 
two pounds of chicken breasts. Ingredients are scary out there right now, and prices are even scarier, but they don't have to be. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Clark today. That's code Clark, my last name, and get a chicken you can trust. It's like a little cluck serve it is. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You must have felt after that happened that, okay, God had really shown you something through that. I know it kind of messed you up for a little bit, but then were you thinking, I need to be helping my dad do more of these? Uh, yes and no. It was kind of a mixed bag. Like, man, that that was too much for me. Um, but because I'd seen so many before as well in my dad's den with people and, you know, people were usually, I mean, they would manifest, but they would they would be seated. But he'd been in a bunch where, you know, like the demon would manifest and they would pull a fork and hold it up to his throat at a restaurant, um, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff where his life was literally in jeopardy. Um, so he had been through it. And uh, I mean, it, it was still a big deal for him. But I knew that my dad was never harmed because mm-hmm. I heard all these stories growing up and I saw some stuff. Um, so it was, it was um, at that point that I knew because of what I saw with the angels and what I saw with him that... Um, there's something in me that God has given me because of what I've lived through with my dad and what I see. Um, and when, when we would do exorcisms together, um, you know, God would share thoughts with me and then with my dad. And, and we wouldn't speak or talk about it, but I would say something and he, he would say, that's what God just told me too, which, one, which would then free the person that we were talking to. No way. Because it was about something that only the person we were talking to knew. I didn't know the person. My dad didn't know the person. But God would reveal things to us. So the person would say, okay, I'm not dealing with these two. I'm dealing with God. This is God because only God knows these things in my life. So it was fascinating to, you know, work with my dad. We were kind of like a, like a duo, I guess, for a while just because <laughs> we could bounce off each other so well in these, in these sessions. And I could see things and I could understand things and... Um, like we knew what they were doing and we knew what the demons were doing to the people's head. And so that, you know, all those things started to rumble in my head like, okay, I'm, I'm a part of this. Okay, but see, what I don't understand is once an exorcism happens, the demon comes out. Where does the demon go? Right. Do you just, sh- like, where do they go? I mean, you just shoo them away? I mean, I, I don't know where they fly to. Or they, I mean, they always long to inhabit something. And, you know, back to the scripture, I think that's why they wanted to go in the pigs because they needed to inhabit something. Right. Um, but they, they, uh, they go and look for another victim is what they do. I mean, because their, their job, their assignment, like in Screwtape Letters, have you read that with C.S. Lewis? Mm-mm. Oh, you got to read that. It's a great book. Every, I know. I need to get into C.S. Lewis. That's been Mm-mm. recommended to me a lot, and I haven't yeah. read his book yet. So he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. Um, it's a fictional book, but it's, a, it's about a senior demon giving advice to a younger demon who's trying to inhabit and mess up a Christian's life. Wow. And they're, they're a series of letters, kind of like, like mentor letters. And when I read that, um, it mirrored much of the things that we had been through um, in real life, and it, it, it validated a bunch of things. But one of the things in that book that, that we've seen with, with people that we dealt with is that those spirits then go who are exercised and they are, um, you know, I don't know exactly, but they're assigned to attack other people yeah. or other things or other families or family members or... So what you're saying is spiritual warfare and feeling like my family is under spiritual attack is very real. Oh, it's as real as you and I sitting here. And I think that's one of the things I want to really nail home on this is that in Ephesians 6, when, um, when they talk about the armor of God and then we wrestle not against flesh and blood... Um, it lists in details that the authorities that we deal with, and he gives credence to the fact that they do have power on this earth, mm-hmm. and their sole job is to wreck families, um, individual faith lives. I mean, their their sole purpose, and they're relentless, and they know us better than we know ourselves, and so they know when to hit, they know what to attack, they know what to say in our head. So we go in a spin. Um, so that was all just normal for me. It was all, you know, as I saw those things, I'm like, this is, but 
like you asked a question, is, is spiritual warfare we, real? Because I saw it so much and it was such a part of my normal life, I always felt weird because I didn't see life like other people did. I didn't see, you know, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a bad thing. I, I often saw the stuff behind it, you know, and I would literally see, you know, demons at home um, later in life as well. I've seen angels and demons fighting in the sky. I mean, it's, it sounds like I'm a weirdo, but um, it's as real. Again, it's not, I have zero doubt in the reality of it. And some of these people that you guys were performing exorcisms on, on am I right that some of these people were hell's angels on their way to murder people, uh-huh. yeah. witches? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the types of people? Were there also just normal people like doctors and teachers? All the above, all the above. So there'd be hardcore wackos. Um, this one lady came to our house, um, dressed almost like a witch, all in black. Um, and she, um, that's one of the ones that puked all over the place because the exorcism was so gnarly. Um, but she was a witch. We've had, um, other people come to our house who were ritualistically abused. Um, we had. Now why, wait, when you say they were abused, why would they need an exorcism? Well, what do you, I don't know what that means. So, um, if someone's ritualistically abused, um, like in the occult, yeah, it's not. It's not usually their choice, and they're in a cult. Either they are um, a child of someone in, or they've been brought in, and they just get really deep and dark into it. Okay, um, and so they get. Um, I mean, sometimes the parents in the occult will put a curse on their kid or ritual- ritualistically abuse the kid, meaning chants and blood stuff and sacrifices and all kinds of stuff over the person and they would be so heavily possessed that they wouldn't know which end is up. Right. And for example, I mean, my dad has dealt with, uh, and this even gets weirder, but um, birthers who were in the cult um, who they would use to birth other kids and train them in the ways of Satan. And so... Now that's Handmaid's Tale type stuff. Yeah, that's that's real though. I mean, they, they were in my dad's den and um, I remember this one I'd just gotten, it was my first car, it was a red car, and I drove up and I knew that he was doing a session in the, in the den, and this girl was, um, deep in the occult, um, from a kid, but wanted to be free, but didn't know how, um, and was always taught that if she, if she tried to, that she'd be killed, and so she met with my dad in secret, but they had so, um, uh, psychologically messed her up that whenever um, she saw the color red, she would freak out and shut down because they trained her that red means we're going to kill you if you, if you oh talk about this. Oh, my gosh. So I drove up in my red car. Yeah, she's like, it's done for me. And she bolted out of the door and ran down the street screaming. I'm like, Dad, what was that? And that's when he told me, um, you know, that she was at the point of being free Oh, no. And saw my red car and then... Did she come back? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, that's scary. That's awful. But and that, then thinking, like, whatever happened to her? That's how deep this stuff goes and, and how, how powerful. So, again, back to spiritual warfare. It's not just for people like my dad or myself who have seen it. You deal with it. My daughter deals with it. My family deals with it. We deal with it every single day. But it's not as overt always as we think spiritual warfare is. Yeah. Because it can be very subtle. It can be very... Again, in this book, um, C.S. Lewis, he calls it daily pinpricks where the spirits, you know, will come in and let's say someone that you know well and there's a tone in the voice that you can't stand because you know what he or she is about to say or do Mm -hmm. or they look at you a certain way and you just get annoyed. That's, you know, an example of a small attack just to distract you from loving the person or caring for the person and you shift your focus off of that but that's the spirit going oh aren't they awful they're they're horrible you should be angry and it just distracts you oh man if that's i mean that's a great example and i'm like man i got a lot of spirits after me (laughs) (laughs) for real um okay so you know i i can't help and this is just kind of crazy but like i'm thinking you're a teenager as your dad is doing exorcisms in the backyard or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, did your friends at school know? Like, were they like, dude, Rick's dad is doing crazy stuff in their house? Like, what was that conversation yeah. like? No, I mean, they didn't because 
we didn't ever publicize it. Okay, so um, no, this was like, you guys, this was hush-hush in the community. It was only like, if you know someone who knows someone. Right. But then my dad's story started to get out, and, and a lot of people heard about my dad's story. Um, and that's where the movie thing comes in. Okay. So they made a movie about him called Revival of Eagle. Um, it's a documentary with, with, with uh, it's a um, it's a documentary of five stories, people who are involved in the cult, and his is one of them. Um, and it's uh, still on Amazon Prime, and you cool. can tell it's made in the, you know, in the 80s. It's just totally ghetto, but it's fascinating. <laughs> and, uh, but it tells these five stories of, of these people who got deep in the um, different aspects of the occult. And, uh, and then, you know, like the movie traveled all over the country, and that's when we started to speak a lot. My dad spoke a lot at churches and youth groups, and I'd go and watch, and um, I would listen and sometimes participate, you know, and they would say, what's it like growing up with this stuff? And, you know, at the time, it's it's all I knew. I mean, I, I didn't know something more real than that. So it was just a natural conversation that I'd had. If they asked, but we didn't wear T-shirts or, you know, yeah. hey, we, were, we perform exorcisms. Yeah. I'm with this guy, the exorcism guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, you got to walk us through how an exorcism actually happens from the moment this person knocks on the door. Okay. So, like, they knock on the door, you open the door, is your dad shaking, like, do you shake this person's hand? Like, I want to know step by step everything that happens. Yeah, okay. Um, it's very similar when they, when they knock on the door or call. And almost every time they will say, a voice told me last night to not come. And then another voice told me to come. And my dad would say, well, why'd you come? And he said, because the voice that told me to come was stronger. And, uh, and he said, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's go talk. And it was just like that. And they'd go back to the den. Um, and then it would sit down and, um, my dad would pray always, you know, God, you be here, you guide this, you bring your angels, you bring your protection and you bring your freedom. And sometimes right after the prayer, the thing would start to happen. Um, or sometime, um, after the prayer, the person was still skeptical. And then often that's when God would share a detail about that person to my dad, that my dad would then speak out and the person would go, whoa, no one knows that but me. And that would allow the person to then start to talk. And then he would um, do some kind of like exploration like, okay, so when do you think this started? What are some of the events, you know, and then just have the person talk it through. And sometimes my dad would know those details and tell them, hey, this happened here, right? And they'd go, yeah. And so then, then almost like a surgeon, he could see when the spirit entered that person's life by those events. And then he knew what that spirit was. Whoa. And then when we'd pray, he'd call out that spirit by the event, by the time. And, um, but there was often many, many, many demons, like in people, it was rarely just one or two. And what's like the aftercare? For this, yeah. like, like, yeah. what is your dad's like? Do that, like, are they starving after this? Like, you send him home with like a cookie <laughs> and then like a Bible and like, hey, so this is like, what do you do after that? Yeah, no, it's um, well, the freedom that they experience is always so powerful. And yeah, they, and they always say afterwards. I mean, many were like, I, I've been in therapy for ten years, and what you just did in the last four hours changed my life. Of course. So nine out of ten times, the people would leave freed and just they would just jump into the word and jump into scripture and jump into things they've always wanted to, but they couldn't because they were so oppressed. Yeah. Oppressed and imprisoned by, by Satan. Sometimes the people would, would keep on calling my dad afterwards because the attacks would still come. That's what I wondered if like he kept in touch with anybody, like anybody was like, dude, you saved my life. Yeah. I mean, not on purpose. They would reach out to him and mm -hmm. they would, because he, he, again, this was, this was, this is not his job. This is what he felt called or to do and still does. I mean, he's in his 80s and he's still... He does this still? Uh-huh, yeah. No way. Yep. See, I always think that, like, I don't know, you never hear of people, you know, performing exorcisms anymore, like in today's A and H, but you're saying that is a real thing that happens. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. But it's got... But, but the person has to want to be freed. Otherwise, it's a waste of time, literally. And if the person doesn't want to be freed and is not willing to fight for his or her freedom in Christ, then it's not... It's not, um, not, this sounds awful, but it's not worth the time because yeah. we, you know, God gives us the choice to follow him. 
God gives us a choice to fight for our freedom. We have free will. Correct. So, yeah, the aftercare was, I mean, like my mom and sister would always joke and say, we should make a business out of this. We should, we should make T-shirts and pencils, and after it's done, we should, you know, and, and my dad's like, I mean, that was their way of dealing with the intensity because they would hear all this stuff, and they would be praying for us in the living room. But afterwards, always we'd joke because it was so heavy. I mean, I can remember this one time this guy came and uh, heavily possessed, went through the session, spirits left. But this one spirit happened to manifest in smell, like a horrible, horrible smell. He didn't smell when he came in. When when he left, we, we walked out to the den and uh, it, it was just like... Probably smelled like death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like a thousand stinky armpits all in, all in one room condensed. And it was awful. And so... Of course, we started to joke about it. We're like, "Wow, that's I didn't know the demons could stink that bad." But it was it was a real yeah. like, like you know, it it was gross. It was absolutely gross. But it was that it was the residue of the exorcism, and, it, and I just saw all these physical manifestations that were so fascinating because it made the scripture so much real, mm-hmm. more real. Because I read about this stuff, but now I'm seeing the stuff, and I'm seeing God when I'm seeing Him throw out the demons. I'm seeing the demons lose. But I'm also seeing the power of demons in our lives if we choose to make bad choices. How many exorcisms do you think you and your dad actually performed together? Together, probably at least 100 with, 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 with him and I. He's done hundreds. And, and he, would, he would say as he listens to this, Dad, you know, Rick, don't, don't say that. But it's true. I mean, he's been doing it ever since I was three or four years old. And, you know, that's a long time. And it's... I mean, growing up is probably two to five times a week, and uh, and then he'd go and speak at you know at churches and youth groups. So it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. What would you say to people that might be thinking for Halloween weekend this hmm. weekend? Hey, you know, I I just think it'd be so fun. Me and my friends want to like do a Ouija board or whatever. Oof, yeah, don't. I mean, I would say immediately and quickly, don't. We dealt with a lot of of, um, of kids, and there were um, children that got exorcisms. Well, they would be oppressed or bothered from the experience of Ouija boards, from Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you? Why Dungeons and Dragons? It, it draw. I mean, it draws you into the darkness, and a lot of the stuff on those in those games, those boards. I mean, they're demons, you know, the stuff that, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons, the dragons part and how they manifest were from what we saw, what we saw in the exorcisms. And that, you know, that, uh, I don't know if, if you've heard of like light as a feather, stiff as a board, mm-hmm. people, that's. Those know, are like sleepover games. Totally. Those are all demons. All demons. Well, yeah, that's a, a lot of people are like, well, when I was 12 years old, that's I know. definitely, that's well, scary. So, and it doesn't mean that because you did it, you're. Possessed, right? But but it's all about gateways. It's all about doors that get open or windows that are cracked in your life through your actions that allow stuff to seep in. What are signs that someone might notice if a friend or family member uh, could be possessed that they should be looking for? Um, you know, sometimes it's rage. Sometimes it's um, angry outbursts of weirdness. Sometimes it's super subtle, where people are just controlling. Um, I mean, there's a whole host of things. But if you just, you know, if you choose to watch attentively, um, it's not, if someone's really possessed, it's not hard to see. I mean, it's, it's not hard to miss. Is it safe to say that exorcism is the family business at this point? Uh-huh. We, we haven't hung a shingle out our door that says, you know, Rick and Dave's demon dealing business, but um, we always talked about it. I mean, I always, you know, um, because there was a part of me that loved it because I loved to see people freed. Of course. And it's the, it's the best thing to see in the, in the world because you get to see Christ winning in people's lives in a physical, a physical way, not just something you read about. Something's, someone's life is physically, literally transformed and it transforms your faith. And it makes you feel like, wow, God is power. And I've been given that power through his grace on the cross to lord over the evil forces who want to destroy us. 
Um, but it's also very scary because, um, you know, it's, I saw a lot and, um, I see a lot and I, and sometimes I don't want that. I don't want that sight. I can't unsee what I've seen. Like that gift hasn't gone away. No. Do you have three daughters. Yep. Do you, and they've all are cute conservatives who love the spillover, which is oh, like yeah. amazing. Huge fans. So the way that Rick came to us is because one of his daughters, who's a cute conservative, DM'd us after the Jen Nizza episode, I probably. Think so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who, if, if you haven't listened to the Jen Nizza episode, she was the former psychic um, who became a Christian. Talks about that. And so his, his one of his daughters was like, "You have got to get my dad and or my grandfather on." And so we ended up having you because your dad, like you said, is in his eighties. Harder yeah. for him to travel. Yeah. And so we we're like, "Perfect, let's do it." And so. That's how we yeah. came to met you. So do any of your daughters have the same gifts? Um, I mean, like there's one that's sitting over there that I she's super sensitive to the spirit. I mean, um, I would say yes in a different way because Kate, who uh, DM'd you, is passionate about her faith. And her faith has just really come alive the last couple of years. And she's fascinated by the story. Um, and And in truth, I didn't share a lot of the story with with my kids yeah. until recently because how, I, and how did that conversation go? Did, how'd you bring like, that up? They're like, dad, what? They're dad, what? <laughs> so well, how did they find out the well, first time? So, well, so Kate was going to school um, because she's a freshman um, at ACU. And, uh, and I told them both, I told Emma and Kate, um, I need to tell you something about, about my dad. I, I, I need you to know something and I need you to know something about me. And I was waiting for the right time. And so every now and I said, hey, I, I need to tell you that story. And like, Dad, just tell the freaking story. What's the story? <laughs> and then I told it, um, and it. And they were just like hooked. And they were just drawn in. And then one of the last times my dad was able to come out to Austin where we are, um, they started asking him the story. And of course, it's like, I mean, he just knows like the back of his hand. And they just kept asking. Even my youngest daughter, my 10-year-old. Which is like watch, you know, like this. I can't grandpa. imagine being ten years old hearing these stories about your grandpa. Yeah, it, it freaked him out a bit, but um, but it, but it's something too that I knew they had to know because mm -hmm. it so changed my faith. But I've been nervous to share because of the power of what I experienced, and it's so it was so heavy on me. Um, and a lot of stuff, you know, again, we're we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And stuff happens still in this world, in this life, and they will do anything they can, any way they can to wreak havoc on your life. And I, you know, I experienced a lot of that growing yeah. up and I wanted to protect my family because um, when my dad was going through it, he was so innocent and desires to see people have the freedom that he experienced. And that's why telling your dad's story is so important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that um, has to be told. And I've realized that now it has to be told. If somebody approached you and they were like, we want to offer you some money, we we want the rights to this story, we we do want to get Hollywood involved and make a movie or, you know, Netflix or something, would yeah. you would you say yes? Um, I mean, I would pray about it for sure. I mean, I, I don't, I've been thinking a lot about it lately because in truth, when when my dad came out to visit last, he's, like I said, he's old and frail and, and, I, and I saw something start to end and I got actually really nervous and I felt burdened. Um, because he's so humble about this. I mean, the stuff that he's seen from f famous people to... Wait, he did exorcisms on famous people too? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It, Are there been, any names you can share? No. Oh, no. Dang. It's that's been, crazy. It's been... a Yeah, I mean, he, he's had... Um, like you asked before, are they always possessed? Are they normal people? It's been the whole spectrum. Wow. People struggling with their marriages to pro athletes struggling with what they see, um, to noises in their house, to their kids afflicted, to, you know, other famous Hollywood people, to the Hells Angels, to the, you know, the mom who's been through a divorce or like the kid that's, I mean, just the whole spectrum he's, he's seen and dealt with. Um, but he just loves to see people see Christ. And that's been so on my heart. And I want my, I want my kids to know the power of the God that they worship. You know, and I think this story is, uh, it's palpable. You know, it's like you can, you can feel it and you can touch it. I did. I was a part of it. And um, so actually back to the movie thing, some people in Hollywood did approach him years and years ago. Um, and they wrote a script called The Blue Lady. Um, oh, my gosh. 
and it was going to be picked up. There was, um, it's a crazy story too. Um, like they wrote the script and they wanted to make it like at the time they had, um, a movie of the week on, it was either ABC or NBC. Or something oh like yeah. That. Yeah. Like on cable. Yep. And they wanted to do a movie on my dad for the movie of the week. And so they wrote a script and. Well, um, you know, who's in the movie ba- uh, making business now is the Daily Wire. Oh, really? Yeah. The Daily Wire. They're oh, making yeah, yeah, all they these are. movies. They are, huh? And so maybe that would be a cool, because then, you know, you're you're with Christians and conservatives that would, you know, protect the integrity of the story and the message. And I, I think that's I think that's been a big pause of my dad because he's been approached several times. Yeah. And I think that's the pause of, of, of mine as well, because I know what that can of worms opens mm-hmm. in our personal lives. Um, but yeah, I've just started to think how... I've got a buddy who, who used to make films back back in Cali, because um, that's where we're from originally, from from SoCal. And uh, but he just hung up all of his cameras and and he got out of the business. But um, I was going to go to him and say, "Hey, is there a way that we could try to indie a film about my dad?" Yeah, because it's just I think it's you know it's time. So, well, um, if anyone uh, is a spillover fan that you know, you know has some <laughs> connections or something, you should re- <laughs> reach out to Rick. So, by the way, if somebody does want to get in touch with you and they have you know their own story or something uh, that they want to share with you or ask you any more questions, where can they find you? You can send me an email at rhanson r h a n s e n seven seven at gmail dot com. But I know that God is God, so I know He brought me here um, through my kids. You know, He brought me here, yeah, because they are so excited about this but it is you know it's daunting because you know like i said it's dark it's dark and it's heavy and people freak out they're like they're like you're weird or you don't even want to share it because it sounds like it's a completely foreign language you know so um but it's but it's not our story to tell it's christ's it's his story it's what he did in my dad's life it's what prayer does in christian's life um you know often the phrase is well i guess i can just pray for you that is the most powerful thing a believer can do for yeah. someone. It's is not to pray. just praying. No, it's it's spiritual warfare. When you see some of this crazy stuff going on in culture, I mean, I feel like you know without even me having to say, but like you know these people that are like I'm I'm a genderless amoeba and shape shifting yeah. newt and whatever this crazy stuff. I mean, do you feel like these are all people that are dealing with demonic? possession, oppression, they need spiritual help? Or, or like, what do you think about that? Oh, it's definitely a spiritual attack. It's definitely the demons influencing our culture and our society through a theme and a narrative that is destroying hearts and people, especially young people, because they don't, they don't know otherwise. And the narrative is so strong. Um, I think that Satan is using the narrative to cause these things to ripple down. And I don't know that everyone that has an issue with whatever it is they're going through has, you know, an oppression or right. possession, but there's definitely influence everywhere. And yes, some are heavily possessed. Like I can, sometimes I can, I can just, I can see it. Yeah. An important Halloween message. Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on The Spillover. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. It was awesome. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but like, have you ever heard a podcast on Halloween of a guest like that? I sure have it. I could not have imagined a better guest for Halloween week personally. Maybe you listen to that and you're like, fully believe him. Rick, 100%. Maybe you don't. You're like, okay, this guy is full of it and not demons. One thing is for sure. Having a parent who exercises demons out of strangers in your living room is prime for Hollywood. Like one of my male editors said he got so scared laying in bed the night that we filmed this interview. Pray for Dom. That's his name text, post, share this episode, tell everybody you know to subscribe to The Spillover and like debate it with your friends. Be like, okay, listen to this story. Is this like the most amazing testimony you've ever heard of someone coming to Christianity or is it all bogus? I don't know what you think. Um, I think I tend to believe him. It it, it is so shocking. I think I kind of almost need to listen to this a second time to really let it sink in and kind of analyze it a little bit. But leave a five-star review if you appreciate the unique guests that my team and I find every week. We really put a lot of work into that for you. If you liked this episode, then go back and listen to my interview with Doreen Virtue on leaving the new age. That's season one of The Spillover, episode 10. And then 
former psychic Jen Nizza. She was season two, episode 20, if you are really into this paranormal, supernatural stuff. Next week on The Spillover, I have another expert episode featuring someone who discusses the war on boys in this country. Parents or non-parents, you will not want to miss this one. I loved it. It also, I just think, is a non-parent out there in the dating world hearing this guy talk about what he has learned about how boys are growing up in the United States of America today. The challenges specifically that they're facing in culture today is eye-opening. And it's like, this is gold information as a single woman out there dating to kind of understand what the opposite sex is going through. I know that everybody wants to talk about the war on women, but there is a war on boys. New episodes drop every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe to Politics on YouTube also. You can watch every single interview that I do on The Spillover on the Politics YouTube channel. And Politics, by the way, is my daily show on YouTube where I cover pop culture from a conservative perspective. So there's a lot going on on the Politics YouTube channel. Subscribe, thumbs it up, all that stuff. Have a happy Halloween and make sure you watch out for the blue lady. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye.